This is a post-Christian podcast. Welcome to the Revolution Church Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Revolution for this week, this fourth. I think it's the fourth week, right, Curtis? Is this fourth week? Sounds right. There's just there's just so many um, Sundays this month because it's a longer month. But um, yeah, and hope everyone's having a good day out there. Um, uh, since the last time I got a haircut, as you can tell, last time I had wings, I went to my salon person, and they said, um, you have wings, Brian, and I, f- I kind of wanted to say Red Bull gives you wings, but I don't drink Red Bull, but yeah, so I got my haircut, that looks, I think it looks nice, and uh, it's kind of funny that I'm getting a haircut, um, usually people want to grow their hair longer when it gets cold outside and i want to cut my hair because it's so freaking long um happy thanksgiving to everyone who celebrates thanksgiving i know not all of our uh, listeners are from the states um and i know i know thanks i know in canada people celebrate thanksgiving um like us but they also have an official thanksgiving day which is back in october because i have a friend from seminary who's from canada she let us know that so it's not fair because I get two, two Thanksgivings, <laughs> not, uh, and we only get one. Anyway, um, all that aside, so yeah, um, for anybody watching live um, or this posted, happy Thanksgiving to anybody who watches it when it comes or listens to it when it comes out on the podcast stream. I hope you had a good Thanksgiving, and I, I had posted it I think before last episode or last week that um i run a podcast called sacred collective and if anybody knows is um it costs money to have hosting sites and hosting fees so um right now okay did somebody say something oh my chin was cut off on that on my on my end it works well um everyone's helping me with audio stuff there we go maybe i shouldn't have it so close to me anyway um, are we good? We good, Amanda? Sweet. What would I not do without my wife taking care of me and doing this audio visual stuff? Um, yeah, what was I saying? Anyway, um, yeah, hopefully we're not going, oh no, what I was saying is we're up on Sacred Collective Feed, which is the podcast I do. Eventually, I'm going to try to get one for revolution church minneapolis i just have to look at the finances um where that's at um but if you like what you hear um you can't you know take the time out of sunday or through the week to watch this on facebook i totally get that and i understand um but go over to the sacred collective uh feed on wherever you get your podcast and and these talks uh will be up there as well um one thing I like to do that's a little different is I like to kind of give recommendations. Anybody who listens to our podcast knows we like to do recommendations. And I know it kind of sounds weird, like, oh, I'm tuning into a church and they're doing recommendations. Hey, well, you know what? Um, I'll, I'll just say I like to help people out. I like to help businesses out. I like to network. Anybody who knows me knows I'm the networking kind of fiend or I want to um, 
you scratch my back, I scratch yours kind of a thing. Um, and I don't know if my friend Derek's listening. Um, shout out to Derek if you um, are listening. Um, but me and him connected. He used to work for me. I was his boss. And we got together and just hung out last last Sunday evening. And there's a, a new brewery here um, in the Twin Cities. Well, probably within the last year and a half that they that they opened and they're called falling knife brewery and i'm actually wearing their shirt i'm gonna stand up falling knife uh want to shout out to the to the guys at falling knife um brewery they have some damn good beer um really really good different takes on different kinds of beer and one beer that they just brewed that i think is absolutely fantastic is um this RBG, RG, RBG beer, which is um, in kind of um, the vein for Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who obviously we know is a Supreme Court justice, a super liberal one, progressive one. And she died, I think it was last month or maybe the month before. But the, the beer is an orange chocolate biscotti stout. Um, and how, the, how they got the, I guess the story goes is, Ruth Bader Ginsburg's favorite breakfast was an orange chocolate scone. And so they took that and made it into a beer. And it was probably one of the best beers that I've these lips have ever tasted. <laughs> and it was delicious. So unfortunately, um, here in Minnesota, they've gotten really um, strict with like another partial lockdown, which I'm in favor of. But it's hurting all bars and restaurants. So bars and restaurants can't open to the public. But a lot of these places, you can still support them um, by going to um, by going to their. Uh, if you call and say, "Hey, I want to pick up a growler or a crawler," you can still do that. So I would say um, support your local breweries if you like beer. Support takeout in these restaurants, especially Ma and Pa restaurants. You know, support local because if wherever you're at, because if you don't support local, then um, a lot of these businesses, unfortunately, are going to have to close. So that's my caveat. Um, oh, the other thing, Curtis and I were talking when I picked him up. If you like the Terminator, watch the new Terminator movie, Dark Fate. It's streaming on Amazon. And uh, I want to say Arnold Schwarzenegger does not age. The yeah. guy, the guy does not age. He's seventy three. He's still buff and ripped as always. The guy looks like, in my opinion, the guy looks like he's like his early sixties, but he was born in the mid forties. Um, just a fun, fun movie. Um, just popcorn flick. Obviously, it's not for the kiddos, but if you like those movies, and this is this is a direct sequel to Terminator Two: Judgment Day. All the other ones that have come out have been prequels or whatever. Um, just a fun movie. Stayed up late last night watching it by myself, and it's just just really fun. Do we have any comments before I jump in? I uh, see no. some coming up. No. None? Um, yeah, as I just keep the comments coming, if you guys have any questions, I can always stop mid-talk, because um, I always want you guys to know. Um, we'll read most of them at the end, but if there's any like audio-technical stuff, uh, just let me know. Curtis is on the other a phone that I have to um, see how it's going. Anyway, what I wanted to talk to you guys about today, I actually, I don't know what I, where I was listening to, or maybe it was a podcast or something. I'm not sure, but they were talking. They were talking about um, something in church that, it, like a, a story or a pastor or something, 
And then they um, were talking about, like, don't be a Pharisee or, like, hypocrisy. And I was thinking about that, like, last Monday and Tuesday at work. And I was like, hey, I want to go back and reread that scripture where that's out of. And I read it. And, like, if any of you watched last week where I was, don't be anxious, where I more or less came out and said, I don't like that scripture. Reading that makes me more anxious. Well, reading this scripture, which is also in Matthew, um, really jumped out to me, and I really think it's important, and I want to talk about it. Um, so, if you take notes or whatever, I know I was a note taker growing up in church. Um, I'm labeling this talk, Don't Be a Pharisee. So, yeah, don't be a Pharisee. But the scripture I want to read is from Matthew 23, verses 27 and 28. And it says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. That's pretty that's pretty that's a pretty good rebuke. And um if any of you who grew up in the church, or not necessarily even the church, but there's certain versions of the Bible, like different, um, not interpretations, but, you know, there's the NIV, KJV, all this stuff. Well, growing up, there was always, there was the Bible that had the red letter edition, which the red letter, the red letters were more or less what they think is attributed to Jesus, um, his sayings. Obviously, that's not an exact science, but this part of Scripture um, not in the Bible that I read out of. I'm reading out of the the English Standard Version, which is a pretty pretty good, pretty reliable um, reliable uh, interpretation. But this this portion of the scripture, what I just read about the hypocrisy, is actually attributed to Jesus saying that that they more or less think that Jesus was the one who had said this. It's pretty, pretty, uh, pretty scathing rebuke, if you ask me. Um, that that Jesus said that, and anybody, I've, I've been told by certain people, certain teachers, philosophers, that whitewashed tomb was as close as Jesus got to like literally cursing someone out. Um, that was a a pretty a pretty um, bad rebuke, scathing rebuke that someone could say. So Jesus, the person who we are supposed to follow or what um, his teachings for him to say that to the religious leaders are uh, it's pretty intense, pretty, pretty. Uh, uh, yeah. I don't know where else I was going to go with that. Anyway. Um, well, whitewashed tomb. I kind of looked it up. I looked at uh, in some concordances and some stuff and whitewashed tomb when people were buried. So like, even when Jesus was buried, um, if you believe in the literal resurrection, I mean, Jesus's family didn't have a ton of money. And so the tomb he was actually buried in was the property of Joseph of Arimathea, which Joseph of Arimathea wasn't even necessarily a believer in God, but was moved in many ways emotionally for what happened to Jesus. And so when Jesus died, he was taken off the cross is how the story goes. They were just probably going to throw him in an unmarked grave or whatever and but then joseph of arimathea was like no i'm gonna wrap him in this shroud this you know this white sheet sprinkle it with the oils and and you know all that stuff so it doesn't smell and he can be buried in my family's plot so like where he was 
in that tomb. Um, and we don't know, you know, you see in all these movies and read that it was probably this massive epic tomb. We don't know. It could have just been small. But but what people did with a whitewashed tomb, what this metaphor is saying is that um, it looks good on the outside. You paint this tomb. I, I was talking to a coworker about this the other day when I was going to be talking about and I was like, just think about um, like at, at a funeral that you go to, you go into the church and, you know, everyone's dressed up their best. You have flowers, you have all the stuff going on. Of course, people are sad. You have this beautiful casket or urn if you're cremated, just everything just looks nice. But in the inside, that person's dead. No matter what you can do, no matter, no matter how you paint it or all the nice things that you have, that person in that urn or that person in that tomb or, or a casket is still dead. And that was the metaphor Jesus was going after was like you, all the stuff on the outside and even in your own life, all the stuff on the outside can look good, can look pretty, can look beautiful. And it even says that in scripture, it's beautiful. But on the inside, you're dead. You're like a bag of bones. And that, to me, when I read that, I don't know if those words were purposeful or how they were translated. But when I looked at it, and it was like, this is like a bag of bones. Like you're no, like you, if you're a hypocrite, you're no better than a dead bag of bones. And that's when I read that, and even just saying that, I'm like, that's just not a scathing critique. That is just an outright like you're dead. You're spiritually bankrupt. You're spiritually corrupt if you're a hypocrite. And I don't know, I kind of looked at my notes here and kind of how getting back to the Pharisees, if anyone, this is a little Old Testament history, the Pharisees were the religious elites. They were Jewish, you know, they, you know, obviously Jews, well, some Jews, but most of the Jews don't believe in all, they believe in the Old Testament, but they don't believe in the New Testament as their holy thing, because they don't believe Jesus was the Messiah. They believe he was a prophet, but not the Messiah. But the Pharisees uh, believed in the Torah, which is the first five books of the Old Testament. And what the Pharisees were in charge of were to keep the law, to keep the order, to keep the laws of the Torah. And obviously, if you've read the Bible at all, especially in the Old Testament, um, you can see there was a lot of uh, stories about how the Pharisees came in and were like, oh, guess what? You broke this law. You broke the Levitical law. You broke the law of Moses. You broke this. You broke that. And, I mean, one one story that jumps out is especially in, in the New Testament, and I, I would be remiss not to say this, but when you see the woman at the well— and she was, you know, going out, just getting water for the day, whatever, whatever she was using that water for. And Jesus comes up, Jesus comes up to her. Jesus knew who she was. Jesus knew what she did. Um, you know, scholars don't necessarily know if she was a prostitute, she was a whore, whatever. But Jesus obviously knew that she was living, quote unquote, adultery. And Jesus goes up to her and is like, hey, um, where's your husband? Obviously, we know it was a very patriarchal society. Women really had, no, uh, women had less rights. If I'm not mistaken, women had less rights than cattle. Like cattle, 
cows, lamb, sheep had more um, had more of it's say even though they couldn't talk have more value than women, which is highly highly uh, wrong in so many levels. That could be another whole talk. Anyway, so Jesus goes up to this woman and was like, you know, bring me. Where's your husband? You know, woman. And she was like, well, I don't have a husband. And he's like, well, you're right. You're living with a man who's not your husband, which we in our society now wouldn't look at that as like adultery. Uh, But their laws were a lot stricter, a lot different, a lot more intense. Um, And Jesus more or less called her out and was like, yeah, I know that. Um, However, but you've been with all these other men as well. And of course, to the that law in the Torah and in the Old Testament, she, they had the right as people, not just in their town or their village, but the Pharisees had the right to literally pick up stones and stone her to death. They had that right. That it's horribly, horribly wrong. Even I would think back then. But in that in that law that the Pharisees were going after, they had that um, right to do that. And of course, the Pharisees probably in all their religious garbs, their vestments or whatever came. And I mean, we don't know how many there were, but it was probably a good gang size group of it. And they saw because wherever Jesus went, because Jesus obviously was in opposition to the Pharisees. When anybody, whenever a Pharisee heard that Jesus was in town or Jesus was talking to someone, they were like, "Ooh, ooh, ooh, let's go like because this guy's kind of undermining our authority, undermining who, you know, what our, what we're doing. And so when they heard Jesus was talking, and I'm paraphrasing some of this story, obviously, but um, they came and of course they saw what was happening. And so they picked up these stones, they picked up these rocks and were just ready to, you know, pellet this woman and stone her to death. And like I said, they could do that legally under that law. And one of my favorite parts of Scripture, and it gives me goosebumps, um, even if someone doesn't believe in Jesus, they're atheistic or agnostic, That's the, I think anybody, personally to me, would be moved by this portion, uh, what I'm about to say. Jesus literally goes up, takes his finger, draws a line in the sand, looks at everyone, and specifically looks at the Pharisees, and says, you without for you without sin cast the first stone or using it now with the sin word because i know a lot of people don't like the word sin but you who are blameless you who are perfect you who are not guilty of anything you who are not guilty just like this woman you cast the first stone and you know what all the pharisees did they dropped their rocks and they walked away and that's just chilling to me in a good way it haunts me because Jesus was literally going out and saying, no one, not a single person here is perfect. Not a single person here is blameless. And not a single person here isn't a hypocrite. Not a single person here isn't a hypocrite. And if anyone looks and just studies about the Pharisees, well, well can say, these, these weren't like pastors that we see if you grew up going to church. You know, your pastor might have worn a nice, nice suit. You know, now I'm not saying like three, four thousand dollar suits, even though some pastors and some traditions did. But you know, they dressed up nice. They might drive a Toyota. They're not driving a BMW. They're not driving a, you know, Tesla or whatever. 
they're just living within their means. These these people, however, the Pharisees, they lived a life of luxury. They lived a, a word I used is opulence. It was so nice, so rich. They had anything they wanted. They never struggled for food. They kept getting money. Um, a lot of them didn't live like in the village. They a lot a lot of them lived in the temple or around the temple. And I mean, just think just think of a very uh, uh, rich individual that you might know or think of athletes or movie stars and they're living in these mansions and driving fancy cars that in essence were how a lot of the pharisees lived within obviously that biblical context and a lot of these people who they were coming out of you know their life of opulence coming out of the temple looking at a lot of these people who were in poverty people who were barely making it people who were scraping by to make it and we're pretty much saying, ha ha, we can kill you, we can stone you, we can put you to jail, we can tax you even more, blah, blah, blah. And and Jesus, the one thing I love about Jesus, Jesus was not afraid to tackle those issues. He, he you know, he's, Jesus says in New, the New Testament, I did not come here to kick the law out, but I came here to fulfill the law. And there's parts in the New Testament that even say, you know, you say the law is this. You say the law is that. Well, I come to fulfill the law. Like, in pretty much saying, you're saying in the law that you're waiting for the coming Messiah. And Jesus is like, no, I am this Messiah. So pretty much what I say about this goes. So I think that was really, that's, I don't know, just digging deep into this story. Sometimes we just look at these two scriptures and we're like, um, okay, yeah, yeah, like, don't be a hypocrite. But when you really start digging in and getting to the nitty-gritty, getting to that cultural significance, the cultural context, you realize just the the different duality and dynamic that these really rich, opulent, pharisaical people who knew the laws, the priests, you know, all this, they were at such this elite level. It would be like if you're using it in our normal language, like the 1%. Like the one percenters in our culture who have all the money, who make all the laws, looking down at all of us who are in squalor and in poverty and being like, hey, you know what? We can we can do this and we can do this. And then having someone like Jesus, who is like one of us, who does not come for money, doesn't want to come, you know, whatever, and then steps up and was like, hey, you know what? No. And, and going like that. So, you know, and, and I always say about Jesus is he was, you know, he was part of the oppressed. He was, uh, came there to liberate people, which is fascinating. Um, one thing I wanted to, I would be remiss on not, not saying was, I, I alluded to it, but um, I think there's a lot of Pharisees, pharisaical people in the world. I know we all struggle with hypocrisy ourselves as sometimes we're not, not perfect, but one thing I wanted to say was uh, I really, 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 and you could probably say really about 50 more times, cannot stand, and I think these people are out, outright just horrible people. I'm not saying God doesn't love them, but horrible people, is these prosperity gospel people. I think they're they're um, pharisaical people through and through. Um, one person that I'm going to say, and I, you know, I felt weird just outing them, but I know that I'm sure a lot of people who listen to us revolution, either, either revolution out in Seattle or revolution here 
probably no, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm good. I will say a friendly thing, put them on blast. I'll say that. But one person is Kenneth Copeland. Um, I actually have family, some cousins, some aunts and uncles, which I won't, I know they'll never watch this, but, um, they got quote unquote saved using, because I don't even believe in that word saved, um, at a Kenneth Copeland con or concert, Kenneth Copeland outreach, whatever years and years ago, probably all the way back in like the sixties or something. But if people don't know about Kenneth Copeland, he recently has just come out and said that COVID's a lie. People aren't really dying from it. When Trump lost the election, because yes, what do people think so or not? Trump did lose the election. He got on TV, got, you know, recorded this and just started laughing and said Trump didn't lose. He won all this stuff. But he's been in the news so much. Um, you got to dig deep for it. It's not on like national media news. But I mean, he he has jets. He has two or three mega jets that he flies around with. And he was quoted Someone interviewed him, and I was like, why do you need this jet? Why do you need fancy cars? And he was like, to spread the gospel of Jesus. And people were like, can't you have a car? Can't you take coach? Or even, hey, we don't even care. If you want to fly first class, you can fly first class. And he was like, no, Jesus wouldn't want me with all those other people. Jesus wouldn't want me with all those other people. So he's like, I need for you to give me all these nice things in order for me to reach these people for Jesus. That's pharisaical. That's hypocrisy, you know, full of hypocrisy. Another person, uh, Joel Olstein. Yeah, you know what? I'm just going to say this. Joel Olstein is just a self-help guru. He's a self-help guru. His dad, who ran the church, who started it, yeah, he actually had Bible degrees. Joel Olstein went to college for a business degree. So how he's running his church, this mega map, probably the biggest church in America, with probably twenty or 30,000 people, guess what? He he runs it like a business. And when Katrina happened, I'm pretty sure it was Katrina and another one, um, not even Katrina, there was one not so long ago that happened around the Houston area where that church is. And all the city was flooded, underwater, people in unfortunately happened we're in a lower income lower you know housing area and the church was in this old um old basketball stadium where the houston rockets used to play and and people came up to the church and was like can you house us can you put us in here can you take care of us and joe olstein and his church staff said no we can't thought they were a church i thought the church is supposed to open to people who are hurting the widow the orphan the poor People who are less fortunate, guess what? The, you're, a, you're a hypocrite. It's going back to Matthew. You smell good on the outside. You look good on the outside. But inside, you're bankrupt. You're nothing but a bag of dead bones. The final person, this person, I didn't know much about him until my friend uh, uh, Scotty had said this. Um this guy, it, he's actually still popular today. And all the three of these people I'm talking, they're all alive. They're all still doing their ministries. And they're all mega, mega, mega millionaires. There's Creflo Dollar, who's a pastor down, I want to say, in the Atlanta area, or Atlanta, Atlanta metro area. And he, you know, you watch him. He actually uses the Bible. He uses scripture, you know, tickles the ears, whatever. But you look at his suits, and there's people who have actually 
you know, left his church, people who were really close, his inner circle, and they've come out and blasted him. And they were like, dude, this guy's evil. He he touched us inappropriately. And I'm not making this up. This is if you dig deep into the Internet, these people, I mean, this this happened probably about four or five years ago. So it's not fresh. But they're like he cheated on his wife. He did all this stuff. And when that came to fruition and he heard about it, he just denied it, denied it, denied it, lawyered up. I mean, of course, he always had a ton of lawyers. But the one thing that he came out, someone took took notice with him and said, why do you have a Rolls Royce? If anybody knows a Rolls Royce, that's one of the most expensive cars that you can buy. A brand new Rolls Royce is probably about six to eight hundred thousand dollars. Brand new. Six to eight hundred thousand. He has two. He has two Rolls Royces. And he was like, Well, my congregation gave it to me as a gift. I didn't tell them that they had to buy it to me for me, but they gave it to me as a gift. And I read that, and then it can go on and on and on. And but preparing this talk, this sermon, when I was thinking about it, I was just like, look at look at just these these mega you know mega church prosperity gospel people. They're they're prostituting the gospel. They're prostituting the the teachings of Jesus for money to make money to. To make themselves wealthy, to make their families wealthy, and that's just intense. I mean, I, I I don't know what else to say. Is that's just wrong? That's terrible. And whether you listen to this or not, and you know you're a religious person or not, I think we can all say that that's wrong. That's wrong what they're doing. Not only are they hurting their congregations, not only are they hurting the teachings of Jesus, but they're just hypocrites. You know, and I mean, I, I'm never going to see those people face to face, but I would call them out. I would say what you're doing is wrong. You know, in the heart of your heart that what you're doing is wrong and you need to stop doing that. And they're not going to stop doing it because that's all they know how to do. These people have been doing that for 20, 30 years. And once you live in that kind of destructive lifestyle for that long, statistics will show you very, very low that you're going to change those ways. You're just going to keep doing it. Humans are creatures of habit. We're going to keep doing the same habitual thing over and over and over, even if we know it's hurting other people or hurting ourselves. Um, I want to just say this. I'm going to wrap up soon. Um, I didn't think it was going to go as long as, as it did, but I'm excited. If you can tell, there's some sermons I'm going to give that I might be a little bit more passionate about than others. I'm not saying I'm not passionate when I talk, but this one just jumped out to me because I feel like in our in our country here in America, um, political divide is huge. Um, you have seventy three million people who voted for Trump. You had seventy six million who voted for Biden. You you have even in some churches, you know, um, saying that we should have this divide. There's some some people down south or even here in Minnesota that, you know, we're like, we're going to fight almost like having a civil war about all this stuff. So we're in this crazy cultural divide in our country. We have systemic racism in our country running amok. Anybody who pays attention with all the unarmed black men and women who are getting killed because of the color of their skin, the housing crisis, um, people not affording to go to school. It's all, it's all this muckiness. But what frustrates me is that um, there's so many faith 
leaders out there, regardless of denomination, regardless of church affiliation, that are rather that would rather make money and profit off the gospel than to be there for people to tell them about the teachings of Jesus. And and I don't get that. Like in my head, the way my mind works is, I I'm, I'm not gonna have I'm not gonna say um, that I think it's wrong or that that um, I have reservations. There we go about being a Christian. I don't. I don't. I I'm fringe on some of my views, but I do. I have no problem calling myself a Christian. Sometimes, some days there's other days where I'm like, mm, do I want that label? Do I not? Do I want to just say I follow teachings of Jesus? But I think this this conversation trans, transcends labels of Christian or not Christian or atheist or agnostic or or whatever. And I, you know, and anybody who knows me knows that wherever you are at in your faith walk or no faith walk, I totally respect that. I love you. You 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 do you. But what I think this scripture um, can speak to anyone and everyone is: don't be a hypocrite. I mean, seriously, don't be a hypocrite. This this scripture was Jesus putting the Pharisees on blast. Jesus looking at the religious elites and saying, "You're hypocrites. You you look nice on the outside. You look beautiful on the outside. You might smell pretty. You might have the glitz and gold and whatever." But you're dead inside. You're like a bag of dead bones. And I mean that let that let that phrase just rattle around in your head this week. Don't be a bag of dead bones. I mean that's 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 like I said earlier, that's a scathing rebuke. That's intense. I mean, and Jesus who we follow and everyone's like, Oh, Jesus is my my best friend and he's he's great and you know, he loves me. It's true. But there's times in scripture, and this is one of them, where Jesus is just like, "Bam! I'm gonna, I'm gonna come out and call it like it is." And Jesus was never, ever afraid to do that. And when I read that, that's kind of becoming a, a, a part portion of scripture that I really, 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 really love. Is and like I was saying to one of my coworkers, I said, "What was awesome about Jesus when Jesus was asked a question by anyone? Was asked a question by his disciples, by rando people that came up and met him on the street." by the Pharisees, they would always ask Jesus a question. And Jesus never answered. He always sent a question back. For instance, I think it was Peter, and he was like, Jesus, who do you or Jesus, who are you? Are you the Messiah? And Jesus' response could have easily been like, Yeah, duh, I'm I'm the Messiah. But he was like, Peter, who do you say that I am? I want to know. Who do you say that I am? And so he turned it and flipped it back on Peter. And of course, Peter says, I think you're the Messiah. I think, you know, God sent you, you're God's son. And then only after that was Jesus is like, I am who I am that I am. Saying like, yeah, I am who you say that I am. And Jesus does that throughout the New Testament. And that is that is purposeful that Jesus did that. Jesus was like, he answered a question. I feel like if Jesus was walking on the earth today and someone would go up to him and be like, Hey, what's up, Jesus? Are you the Messiah? He'd be like, I don't know. Am I, am I, I am I Jesus? Not because he doesn't know who he is, but because that is what he's trying to do. He's trying to flip it and say, well, who do you say that I am? That's pretty powerful. Um, so kind of wrapping up, cause I want to give time for, um, questions or comments. And I know I want people to tune in, but I don't want to talk your ear off the whole time, but, 
at the end, please, if whatever you take out of this, whether you're a person of faith or not, don't be a hypocrite. Don't don't treat people poorly. Don't don't be an angry person. Uh, one last thing I'll say is, I have a coworker who, when I first started this job that I have, I've been there for three years. He was a simple, like kind, loving. Just we talked about our family. We talked about his his wife and kid. Talked about mine. You know, says that he's a Christian, doesn't go to church that much, but he, as soon as I started talking, well, he doesn't like the, I clean for a living, so he doesn't like the way I clean, yada, yada. But now, and it's not just me that says it, but a lot of people were like, you know what, like this guy, he works hard, he loves his family, all that stuff. However, after like after you get to know him, he'll just stop talking to you. He'll be angry. He'll he would come up to me because we would clean in the same building, and he would just start cursing my ear off. F you, blah blah. This you're terrible. You're evil. He literally said that like you suck at cleaning. Why are you here? You know all this negative stuff. And then when we started having the pandemic, he has this mask on, and it says I love Jesus. And it just and I was like. And so in my head, I was like, you love Jesus, but you're cursing me out. You're saying that I'm terrible. You're belittling me. You're making me feel like I'm less than nothing. And to this day, it's unfortunate, but to this day, whenever we see each other, we kind of like part, it's like we part ways. <clears throat> if we're going through the same door, I will literally stay outside until he goes in, clocks in and leaves. And people might be like, Brian, get over that, you know, whatever. But I'm also smart enough and I know that. If I don't want to talk to that person, I'm not going to talk to that person. And maybe I, sometimes I'm a hypocrite because, oh, I should, you know, I talk about love and acceptance and caring for people, which I do. But at the same time, I have an issue with him of saying, here he's saying that he's this Christian, he loves God, but yet he comes into work every day angered, pissed off, angry at the world, angry at himself, angry at me, angry at everyone he works with, and then has this label that he's a Christian. Okay, that's just me being fully transparent, but my point is don't, and I'm going to say this, and I know some people might not like like hearing it, but just, just don't be an asshole, okay? Don't be an asshole to people. Love people. I know I talk about love, but I do think love is that thing that connects us, that love regardless of where you're at in, in any walk of faith or belief in any God. We can love each other. We can be nice to each other. We can be kind to one another. We can break bread together, not in the communion sort of way, but having a meal together after COVID ends, of course. <laughs> but getting together, loving one another, caring about one another, that, that everyone, that transcends race, religion, creed, gender identity. It, it does all that. It transcends that. And that, to me, is at the heart of the teachings of Jesus, is love, love for your friend, love for your neighbor. And don't be a hypocrite, because you know why? You know why don't be a hypocrite? Because you're nothing but a bag of dead bones. So with that, I'm going to stop and see if anybody has any conversa- or any questions or thoughts, thinks that I'm a heretic. I'm going to turn this over. I want to get closer to that. So. Yeah. Uh, so Caleb points out that... Uh, when Jesus says to uh, people that only the blameless should cast the first stone, 
um, that he himself also doesn't pick up a stone. Mm. And that perhaps is a way in which he can say that even if uh, you're blameless, like a, a perfect loving God would be blameless, that even then you wouldn't pick up a stone to do this to somebody. No, that's a good point. Yeah, for sure. Uh, he also mentions that... Um, that uh, Peter was asking or saying that he thought Jesus was the political Messiah and that Jesus responded by saying, I am that I am, hmm. or ego mei, uh, as a correction to the statement that he made. I guess I never heard, you know, Caleb, thanks for those comments. I, they're great. Um, I, I, I guess it could be taken that way. Um, because obviously, I would say Jesus was apolitical. Jesus wasn't um, a part of any political. I mean, I don't think they had. Obviously, they had political parties like we do now. But I don't think. I think Jesus was apolitical because that wasn't what he was about. Um, but it, I think many people looked at Jesus as a, not just like a, a Messiah for like your soul and for your faith, but also as a political person. Because let's be honest. When Jesus came and people started believing in him as the Messiah, they thought he was going to be a king that ruled on earth, that, you know, ruled with, with um, not just with love, but ruled with, like, a sword, ruled with, you know, power. And when people talked to Jesus about that, it was like, Jesus was like, mm, no, I'm, that's, that's not what the kingdom is about. But I definitely do think there is that political... Um, Many people probably thought that he was this political messiah too to 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 change the narrative of what was going on. Yeah. Uh, Any other questions or not, comments on there? People on say here. hi or whatever. Um, your mom said that she's watching you. Oh, hi, mom! Thanks for watching. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I I guess I had a couple uh, comments real quick. So, um. I always get nervous when you ask me questions. <laughs> Not that you're going to well, like attack me, but it's just like they're always just so poignant. And so I'm well, just like, uh-oh. I mean, I guess I just mainly was thinking how difficult it is to not be a, a hypocrite sometimes. Mm. Because you really have to have a level of self-reflection and contemplation in order to get to the place where you know that you're internally being consistent with your beliefs and your actions in order to have the, uh, I guess, moral superiority in order to talk to a different group of people and say, hey, I'm holding up my end of the bargain and I'm like walking the walk and talking the talk and they sync up and I think that you should do the same. That's, in my mind, a hard place to get to, but we're given examples of how to try to get to that place, I think, through... Um, things that are said in the Bible. Um, but there seems to be this huge theme in the Bible, at least in kind of the red letters that you were talking about, uh, where Jesus seems to have sort of a preferential option for the oppressed or for the poor or the hungry or the down and out. Mm -hmm. And he seems to be adversarial to those that have a large amount of power mm -hmm. and have clout and um, money. 
And I think that that's something that we should try to mimic in our own lives, where instead of uh, instead of consistently propping up the people that have the power, uh, whether that be with the money that we spend, like say we spend money uh, paying Amazon for things with and just making the most richest man in the world even richer. Mm. <laughs> um, and sometimes it you know, at the very same time trying to vote for people that talk about how they're going to go after the richest people and uh, tax them a lot more. Um, If we're on one side advocating that they shouldn't have so much money, but on the other side, we're giving them our money. You know, that's uh, a form of hypocrisy. Mm -hmm. Or another one that I heard recently from a, a pro Second Amendment person is it that they they pointed out that a lot of um, people on the left bought guns in the spring this year, and then they voted for people that want to take their guns away in the fall. <laughs> um, but but yeah, it's difficult to live a, a principled life, but we're called to do it anyways, and to to do the the hard tasks in front of us uh, that are necessary in order to get to a place where we can call people out when they're not being consistent. And it seems kind of, in my opinion, to be in line with sort of a punk theology. Oh, yeah, punk ethos. Yeah, exactly. And so uh, I think that's all all I had here. Um, I also heard related to the the I am that I am statement that um, I think Pontius Pilate asked Jesus if he's the king of the Jews. And I think in the Bible it's translated as I am sometimes, but I think that it uh, could be translated as am I um, as a question, which is interesting. And, and I want to comment on a couple of things you yeah. said because, I mean, you could have just preached this sermon just with, <laughs> with that. Um, I do, there are parts in the scripture when Jesus is asked about his messiahship where he does say to people, I am that I am. And you hear, you know, people throughout history said, you know, like refer to Jesus or to Jesus as the great I am. Like that saying the I am as I am is like him putting that stamp of approval of validating that. But when he was arrested and mind you, going back to the Pharisees, who gave Judas the money to betray Jesus? Yeah, it was the Pharisees. It was the religious people. The religious people turned around and was like, hey, you know what? This guy's problematic. Let's kill him. And, of course, Judas was needing the money. Anyway, that could be another whole sidebar. Um, but, and I think, and, like, if you look at the story of the crucifixion and all that, like, Pontius Pilate did not want to kill Jesus because he's like, this guy didn't do anything. He wasn't a murderer. He wasn't, you know, a thief. He wasn't any of that. It's just he caused a political upheaval but the Pharisees and the other people wanted him because he just turned everything upside down. Um, so I, I, what you say could be right. It would not surprise me if Pontius Pilate was like, "Hey Jesus, are you the King of the Jews? Are you this Messiah?" And he, I could not, you know, it would not surprise me if Jesus was like, "Am I?" Kind of turning it around. Even in the midst of death, Jesus is still asking questions back to people like, "Am I? Like, am I this?" King of the Jews, I, you know, you tell me. But one thing you wanted to say, and I, I, I want to get to that too, is I do think what you were saying, Jesus was very adversarial to 
the religious people of the day. Because he, his mantra, his theme, his whole thing that Jesus was about was taking care of the people who are less fortunate, taking care of the widow, the orphan, the poor. You know, you, you know, even in our time, taking care of black and brown babies, taking care of the immigrant, taking poor of the people who can't clothe or feed themselves. That you know, put our context into that. And so, yeah, I do. And I going back to what Caleb was saying too. There was this political. I, like I said, I don't think Jesus was. I think he was apolitical. He 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 obviously was political because all of us are political in, in some ways. But I do think that um, Jesus was politi- made a political statement, made a and lived a political life by going to the religious elite who were very political and saying, "You got it wrong. You're hypocrites. You're a bag of dead bones." And whether we want to admit it or not, that was a political statement. That was a political act that he did. No different than I just listened to a podcast this week. It was about um, the plowshare movement on like the Catholic workers at how they people would say, oh, they must be Democrats and must be lefties. But they were like, no, we're Christians who think war, who think murder of, of what America is doing is wrong. I don't th- they're not making they're, I think they're apolitical, but they're making a political statement by standing up and saying, no, this is wrong. This is, we, we're hypocrites, whatever. And so going back to kind of what you and Caleb were both saying is, I don't think Jesus was political, but the statements and the life he lived made him political. And I think it was because of his religious views and his outright rejection of the political, the whole hierarchy of the day is what got him killed and what why i think the story of jesus for me is so moving is in the midst of death in the midst of losing friends and family whatever he was just like i'm gonna take this on because if i don't who's going to and then the last thing i'll say is yeah it is very hard for us as anybody like i said not even religious people but for us not to be hypocritical because we're all hypocrites at times. I'll, I'll raise my hand and say I'm hypocritical sometimes, but when I know that I'm being hypocritical when I, and I know in my head and my conscious that I'm hypocritical, I feel so low. I feel like garbage. I will like go in my room and just put like my hand in my head and be like, why, why did I do this? What am I doing? So yeah, I do think it's one of those things where we have to check ourselves every day whether we want to or not, and saying, am I being a hypocrite? Am I being hypocritical? And if you struggle with that, I mean, go back to that scripture and be like, do I smell good on the outside? Do I look good on the outside? Does everyone think, oh, Brian, you're such a great guy. You're Curtis, you're such a great guy, blah, blah, blah. You're so nice. But then on the inside, I'm dead. I'm bankrupt and um, whatever. And I think that is what that this story was so this narrative was so good is like we can all have that good looking stuff on the outside but we ourselves know if we're spiritually corrupt on the inside or just morally or as a person just corrupt so that's all i really have does anybody else have any questions or well caleb has a really controversial comment he Uh said uh kawabunga dudes that's really controversial uh he's he's going back to my favorite cartoon teenage mutant ninja turtles right yeah so thanks, thanks, Caleb. Thanks for everyone um, for that lively discussion, I would say. Um, we'll be back next week, as I said last week, kind of over what they like to say in the higher church, Advent. 
I'm going to, if you guys are okay with it, um, I don't want to go off too much, but at least probably like that Sunday before Christmas, because I think Sunday, I think Christmas is a Friday this year. Okay. So that like 27th, um, maybe the one before, I'm just going to want to take time off. I have time off work. Not that I don't love you guys out there in revolution land, but you know, I think we should, you know, try to be with family. We might be locked down with them. So I'll just say that I'll let you know. Um, As always, thanks again for tuning in. Uh, We love you guys. Um, I can't thank Curtis enough for always um, helping to run the, the phone with comments and questions. And like I've said, reach out to me on my own personal Facebook. Reach out to me on Instagram. Uh, we have a private group on Revolution that some of us talk in. Um, so, yeah. Um, till next time, everyone. We'll see you guys later. Bye.
That was a post-Christian podcast.